0: Tonight, we're going to talk um, about one of the things I have a real burden for is for people to really know the Word of God. The Word of God. And so uh, that's why I call this Deeper. Because on Sunday mornings, you have to remember, I'm trying to talk to like a, a real width of understanding. And hopefully, those that are like, know the Bible really well, they can get something from it. But also, the people who don't know anything can get something from it. That's why you'll find me being very practical and very... Uh, as I said this morning, on the earth, uh, you know, in my teaching. Uh, but tonight, uh, we get into the, we just get right into the word in a deep way and try to get you so that when you uh, leave here, you have ways in which you can, uh, you can, the things that I teach, you can use them uh, in, in your studies by yourself. Um, you're gonna learn a lot about God and a lot about the Word if you sit down and actually study it yourself and really uh, look into it. And do more than just simply, I do my daily devotions, I read you know, a chapter, you know, uh, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, it's all good. But it's be- you know, sometimes it's good to get deep into try to truly understand uh, something. And so you have to read, you have to research, you have to look into things. But if you don't know how to do it yourself, then someone can come along and say many, many, many different things. Uh, you know, I was listening to someone the other day and, and, and they were saying how, uh, like, he was saying how uh, the man he was listening, he was learning from, was going back to the original manuscripts, and, and of course, he was going back to the original manuscripts and how the Bible has changed over the many years. All those statements are actually not necessarily true. Because in, when they do the translation of the Bible, some, not all, go all the way back to the original manuscripts. It's not like they look at an English version and change some of the words. That's not how they do it. And, and, and so you know, depending on which Bible you're using. So you know, he was saying things and uh, I've done some study. And I, I didn't want to, you know, upset him or anything, so I just listened to what he said and, and then, you know. So, if you don't have your own study time, if you don't have your own understanding of how to actually do it, then, hey, I could fool you. I could tell you something and, and now you don't have to worry because we have a Dallas Seminary student here, so he will check on everything that I, that I show tonight and, and, you know, I always get nervous when they're, they're here because then I can't fool anybody. So. Um and, and just so you know, when you're teaching and uh, someone asks a question that you can't answer, what is the best answer you can give? I don't know. It's the best answer in the world. So I may say, I don't know. I don't know everything. I'm far from the truth. So in, you really want to study. And um, the other thing is like, you really want to like, in my opinion, you want to memorize. You should memorize scripture. I, I keep thinking of Carol's sister. Carol's sister memorized whole books of the Bible. She can recite out loud the book of Revelations. The book of Revelation. She can do the whole 22 chapters. She goes for a walk and she speaks out loud to her husband. And, he, and, they, and they just listen to the Bible the whole way. I think she's, how many books has she done? Maybe five books so, so far. Something like that. Tell me, I'm telling you right now, I guarantee you she has some insight into the book of Revelation that I don't have, you know. And I know that for myself, when I study a chapter or when I really take a look and I just really get into it, um, uh, I actually like the way Wes said it. Sometimes when you get into something, you get so deep, you get lost. You feel like, I know nothing. Really, it feels like you know nothing. And then all of a sudden, it starts like, re- what happens is everything you thought breaks down and then you rebuild. And so Wes says, is a quote, I forget, you, you go so far around the circle that you come back to the beginning and you see it in a new way. And that's really what happens in the Bible. So I really want to encourage you to study uh, the Bible. And so tonight, what I want to do is, and, and I, I, I want to tell you, I want to show you this. This is, this is an old, old book. It looks new, but it's actually quite old. I couldn't get it online like in Kindle. Uh, I read it years ago. Uh, it, to me, it's one of the best commentaries. It's actually a commentary, the book I had before I gave it away or lost it, whoever knows where it is. It was so long ago. Uh, it was hardcover, uh, too expensive, so I bought the softcover book. Uh, it's by, uh, by Merrill Tenney. Do you know Merrill Tenney? Dude's brilliant. Um, and what he did was he took the book of Gal- uh, Galatians. And what he, what he did is he's doing two things at the same time. He wants to teach you the book of uh, Galatians, but he also wants to show you about 10 different ways that you can approach studying the book, uh, uh, any book, really, uh, especially the epistles. So tonight, uh, I want to just, I'm going to just mention the 10 different ways you can approach a book, uh, 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 an epistle. Um, uh, you can do any book, but... Just, you know, we're going to concentrate on that. Uh, Ten different ways, but we're only going to look at three different ways, because three different ways is going to take at least an hour and 50 minutes. (laughs) So I keep it underneath 46. I have to keep it to an hour and 46 minutes. Um, So um, we're going to look at three different ways. So we're going to jump right in. Um, I suggest if you have a question um, to write it down. There will be certain times I may stop and say, is there any questions? Probably after every section, after the three sections, I'll stop and ask if there's any questions. Um, but what happens is if you have a question and I keep running with it, like I keep, you'll forget the question. So just write it down, put it in your phone or something like that. Um, and so I don't usually wanna get into a discussion in the middle so that you can get the full thing. So that's what we're gonna do. Uh, Lord, I pray right now that you give us wisdom and understanding, Father, Help us to grow in the understanding of your word. Father, you said we need to be ready in season and out, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, Lord God, we have to divide it. We have to understand it. So I pray tonight you give us insight and understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so basically there's 10 different ways that you can look at a book. You can look at it synthetic, synthetically or on you know, a synthetic method. And that is where you read the whole book as a unit uh, and you read the whole meaning. How many here have ever done that? Just sit down and read the book of Galatians nonstop without, uh, without stopping. No, normally we stop at the chapter. I know you, you have to. You got told to. Um, but you, ha- you, know, you read it all the way through. As a matter of fact, in my opinion, <laughs> you heard me say this but I I really believe it strongly, that you have to use this method. Like, that is like, you have to, before you use any other method, you should use this first method. Um, And I'll explain that, we're gonna go through that one. Then there's the critical method that seeks the reliability of the book itself. Actually, that's been a little bit debunked. Uh, That's not, I don't like that method, and they kind of proved that it really wasn't a very good uh, method of uh, study, so uh, obviously we're not gonna study that method, but I wanna say there is. And then there's the uh, uh, biographical, actually, not biological, (laughs) biographical, which means you're trying to understand the author. You wanna understand the author, kinda understand what his mindset is, because if you can understand the mindset of Paul, you can understand how he's writing. So that's a way of looking at the the book. Then there's the historical method, to understand the historical context. Another very important method, uh, not going to uh, talk about that one tonight, but like for example, when you're studying a book, when you're studying any book, I mean, you can simply do it by just Googling. You just Google, uh, if you're not sure which, which uh, 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 website to use, ask me. Uh, but you can just simply Google the historical background of the book of Galatians. And you'll get like, psh, you know, a ton of things, but you'll get like, if you go on one site, you'll get a whole background to understanding the book of Galatians. So you want to understand their background, what's going on in that town. Uh, for example, I'll use the one for like uh, Colossians, because I mean um, Corinthians. Corinthians, if you understand the culture of Corinthians, you will understand that by the, the book so much more. Because the way the city was birthed, it was a, a transit place where uh, they did a lot of cargo from one sea to another. So all these people were coming through, so there was all kinds of... Uh, different types of people, actually a lot like Bali, really was, a lot like Bali. And, and it grew very rapidly because it was an industrial city, so they actually had rich people in there and stuff. So, but the more you understand it, the more, the more you understand the history, the more you'll understand the book, okay? Let me try and say it this way. The book of Galatians was not written to you Sometimes you'll sit there and you'll read that book as if that book is written to you. Now, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit can't speak to you from that book, but when I, when, when I say the book of Galatians or any of these books were not written directly to you, I mean, please understand how I'm saying this. Uh, if you're reading it as if it's written to you, you're thinking that the guy that was writing it was thinking about your culture, your context, your, your life, your, but that's not true. And so you'll, get, you'll, you'll make a lot of mistakes in understanding what it's being said. The Holy Spirit can speak to you. Don't get me wrong, the Holy Spirit can. He does speak to you in the Word. Uh, it'll give you understanding, but just be careful with that okay? Um, Let God speak to you. Trust me, he can speak to you in any way. Uh, Like, for example, you know, for me, uh, there was a time where the the Holy Spirit spoke this verse. uh, Many are called and few are chosen. Now, when he spoke to me about that, he was saying to me uh, that many say they want to serve. Many say that God is calling them to do something, but only a few do it. Now, that's not exactly what that verse means, but God spoke to me and I understood what he was saying to me. So but then when I went back and studied that in, in, in one of the epistles, I learned, wow, it was a lot deeper than what I was thinking, okay? So just be careful on that. So understanding the historical context. Then there's the theological uh, uh, side of looking at the book. Uh, we're gonna cover that one. Uh, so the studies, the, the theology that's in the book, you know? Uh, Josh, I'm going to test you. What's the what's theology or uh, theological? What does that mean? What's that word mean? Right. It's kind of like the study of God, really. That's really what it is. Um, So uh, there's a theological way of looking at it, and from theology is where we get uh, what we call doctrine. Okay. From theology we get doctrine, and You wanna be really careful with doctrine because doctrine is like a concrete stone. And sometimes if you create wrong doctrine, you can't get it out, okay? So you have to go back and really look at the theology. The theology is the key. The doctrine is the product of theology. Let's say it that way. Okay, so those are five. And then the other five is uh, rhetorical. What that means is you kind of just look at the figures of speech, the syntax of the book. Uh, for example, one of the things in the Old Testament that has been debated is the idea of 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I'm not saying some will get all mad. I remember I got mad the first time I heard this. Uh, you know, that's literal. Yeah, maybe. It's probably. I think it probably is. But you know how we say, you know, ah, it feels like a thousand years. Right? We use it as a figure of speech. So you want to look at books and you find figures of speech and stuff. That will help you understand things and it'll, it'll give you a better understanding of the book. Okay? And then there's topical, looking at the topics that are in the book. What is the book trying to, that's why the synth, synth, uh, synthetic uh, approach is good because you'll get topics from that. And we're going to study that one. So basically those are the three we're going to look at. The top, uh, topical, the theological, and the synthetic uh, ones. Okay? And then there's the analytic. You know, Carol would tell you, I'm definitely staying away from that one. It looks at the grammatical structures of things. I'm terrible at grammar, so you're not getting that one. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's another one. And then there's the comparative. Comparing and contrasting pa- uh, passages. Now that's really cool. That's a really cool one. It's really interesting. For example... Uh, some would say that Galatians and Romans really have a great relationship, and I believe it does. Galatians, uh, if you look at the study of time, like when they time it, Paul wrote Galatians before he wrote Romans. He wrote most of the books before he wrote Romans, and so you see this comparison, and Romans is so much more detailed of basically what he has said in Galatians. So this is a really good one, and uh, don't have time for that one, but that's a good one, too. That will you'll learn a lot. And then, obviously, it's just a, a, a devotional that you can do. And there is a devotional method that you can use. And if you have questions about that, I can always share with that later. But we're not going to cover that. So basically, as I said, we're going to cover these three tonight. We're going to look at the book of Galatians in these three uh, ways. Okay? All right? No questions? Good. <laughs> Let's just jump right in. So... We're going to jump into the synthetic method. It means to, like, sin means together, uh, and and the means put. So, So put together the book. It's really hard for you to understand. That's why many people get in trouble. You know I can prove that there is no God from the Bible? You know I can do that? Obviously, it's not true. But if I just look at certain sections, and I just pick out certain things, then I can simply make the Bible say whatever I want. And so this is why, in my opinion, this is a very key aspect. And if you really want to study, if you really want to understand a book, um, how many here like fiction? Anybody read fiction? Okay. How many pages of fiction do you read in one sitting? 20, 30? Yeah. Right, 20, 30, right? Maybe two, three, four, five, 10 chapters, maybe sometimes you get into it, right? Well, the book of Galatians is only what six chapters long you can read it in one sitting. Ephesians was that that's another six, right? It's not that long. You know, Corinthians is what 16, 14, 15 chapters, 16 chapters. 16 chapters, you say, Oh, it's so long. You read a book like that, don't try to analyze it when you read it, especially for the first time, just simply. Read it. That's exactly what was happening in that time. Paul would write the letter. No chapters. Matter of fact, the the true guys who study this, they will take the Bible with no chapters and no... Sometimes I really don't like chapters. Uh, And I I especially don't like the titles. And I especially don't like when someone reads the title from the pulpit as if it's the Word of God. You understand what I'm saying? Titles, you see them in the Bible all the time. Those are just made up. Don't read them, I never read them. Why, I don't want to be influenced. I don't want to be influenced. And, 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 then, and then you'll see some, the, the old books, they don't have it, I don't know what they have. In the, all I have is the Bible now. I don't really have commentaries, but they'll, you'll get a, a Bible with a commentary at the bottom so that like the verse up here has the, a comment down here. <laughs> No, don't read it first. Especially don't read it right away. Don't let someone lead you into their logic. Let the Holy Spirit show you. So simply read the whole chapter, uh, the, whole, bio, the book, whole book, right through. Read the whole book right through. And the goal is to understand the book as a whole, because that's what happened. Paul would write the letter, and actually they would literally stand uh, you know they would stand up in the in the in the in the house church or in the temple or wherever they were and they would read the whole thing in one sitting because if if if, carol, if you know if carol was away and she wrote me a letter I wouldn't read it in sections I would once I got it I would read the whole thing you know Now, if you write me a long text, I can guarantee you I will not read the whole thing, but that's a whole other subject, okay? So you want to read the whole book to get its whole understanding. And then you want to read, and you're looking for the overall theme, the overall theme, the sense you get when you read it, you know? What what is the flow? How is he talking? Is he being um, uh, sarcastic, you know, oh foolish Galatians? who has, you know, I mean, he's insulting them, you know? He's, he's saying it a certain way, you know? And then like in First Corinthians, you know, uh, some of you have said it's, a, it's a, 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 I'm of apostle or I'm of Paul, you know? So I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody. So you're saying, wow, there's problems there. Something's happening in that church. He's trying, so that's how you're doing it. That's what you're looking for when you're reading the whole thing. It's a, it's a personal, is it like from his, from his own experience is it is it a devotional is it a doctrinal book you know first corinthians big-time rebukes oh ba-boom 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 he's screaming at him the whole time he says you're lucky i'm not there he actually says you're lucky i'm not there because if i was there as they says jackie gleason says bang zoom to the moon you know so what kind of letter is it you know Um, just kind of, is it an overall thing? I mean, Paul Paul starts out in the book of Galatians and he says, you know, if anybody preaches the gospel other than the gospel that I'm preaching, let them be accursed. So, you know, if you're reading the whole book and you read that, you're like, whoa, okay, something's going on. He's like trying to say what I've been saying, what I have said. He said, even if I say it uh, different than I've said it before, you know, even I'm accursed. So he's saying, So something's happening in that church. When you read that, you say, whoa, what's going on? What's going on? You know? So that's the whole idea when you read uh, the the, uh, the synthetic method. So there's like some steps, all right? So first time is you read it through without stopping. First time, you're careful but rapid. You're not trying to understand anything. You're just trying to read it. Just trying to get a sense of it. That's why don't stop at a chapter. Again, I'm gonna yell at chapters again. Uh, chapters are good to tell you when I'm talking, I'll say chapter three, you know where to go. But sometimes they actually break up a thought that's not, you think it's like, you know, normally chapters are supposed to like a new thought, but that's not always the case. So just read it right through. Read the whole book right through. And then look for like what is the utmost importance of the author. And, and so, like, for me, if I was to read the first time through the book of Galatians, this would be the verse that would, like, jump out at me as, you know, like, one of the, one of the more important... Now, there's others. You could say there's others, but this is for me, okay? It is for freedom's sake that Christ has set you free. Uh, stand firm, then, because he stand firm. He's going back to, don't be, you know, anybody who preaches the gospel other than me, be accursed. He's saying, no, don't move from that. You know, then, uh, and do not let yourselves be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. What's he talking about? There's tons that he's talking about. We're going to go into this. So, the first time through, just read a book, boom. Kind of get an idea what it is. And from there, you know, uh, you you figure it out. So, basically, uh, this is a quote. Uh, Galatians seeks to show the believer uh, is to be saved by faith in what Christ has done for him rather than his own diligence in keeping the precepts uh, revealed in the law. Now, you're going to see this as we go. You're going to see that this is the overall thing. And if you read the book of Galatians right through, you would get a sense because he he talks about law and he's talking about freedom. He's talking about slavery and he's talking about being free. He's talking about Christ and the law. He keeps going back and forth. So you're going to get that when you first read it through the first time. Okay? Now, read read through again without stopping. First time, oh, I went the wrong way. Sorry. So now there's the second step. And the second step, get your Bibles out. The second step is to read it through again. Oh, you mean I have to read it through twice? Nope. Okay? You're studying now. You're not just... You're not just like reading like, you know, blah, blah, blah. You want to know this book. If you want to know this book, you know, I think, imagine this. Galatians and, you know, Antioch, all these places, right? They, they were under like persecution, right? They were struggling to know Jesus. They had these other guys coming. I'm giving you a little history. They had other guys coming, these uh, what might be called Judaizers. Uh, they, they were coming in and they were saying, no, you must be circumcised. You, you, you have to follow the things of the law. And they're confused because they just left Paul. They felt so free. And then all of a sudden, these other guys come and say, no, 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 you got to do this. So Paul writes a letter to them. I guarantee you they didn't read it just once. I guarantee you they, they all huddle around and like, what's Paul saying, man? He's the man. What's going on? And so they really want to understand what he's saying. So Let's just quickly uh, read these verses. Uh, I, I, I'm limited in time. So someone get first uh, 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 Galatians uh, 2.16. Raise your hand. Quick. Thank you. Galatians 3.10. Somebody get it? Thank you. Galatians uh, 3.24. Who's got it? Going once. Go. Thank you, Carol. Uh, Galatians 6.15. Somebody going to get that? Who's going to get that? Thank you. Okay. Read Galatians 2.16. Whoever raised their hand. Nice and loud. Be ready, everybody. Be ready, everybody. Be ready. Yeah, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because our faith in Christ. Our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. See, look. See, back and forth. Grace, saved by Christ, what He did, not by the law. Next verse, ten, three, ten. See, so now, if, you're under, if you follow the law, you're accursed. We're gonna talk some more about that, but see, you're getting that contrast. 24, 324. See, the law was there, it was our guardian, but then Christ came. Boom, done away with. But what does that mean? Hmm. okay? But see, you're getting this idea. Verse uh, the 615, I think that's you, uh, Wes. Who was it? Were you, Wes? Who got it? 615. Okay. Oh, sorry, Leah. Go ahead. Yeah, see, now, if you know, you see, if you have no idea the history of circumcision, then you have no idea what they're talking about. So it might be good to kind of do a little research in history, a historical method to understand this. Now, you know that like the Jews, in order to be a Jew, you had to be circumcised. As a matter of fact, uh, I just talked about that last week in my last sermon where Paul says, hey, I was circumcised on the eighth day because that like, if you did that, you were like real Jew. Like, you know, some Jews only got, you know, later on, but he was on the eighth day because that's the day, you know. So, So this whole idea of circumcision made you part of the the Israelite tribe, made you a Jew. If You weren't circumcised, you weren't a Jew. If you weren't a Jew, you weren't part of the, the, the chosen. If you weren't part of the chosen, you're not part of the nation. If you're not part of the nation, God does not love you. You have to be part of the nation. All the promises came through the nation of Israel. So if you weren't circumcised, you were out. Now, that meant all the Gentiles, because they didn't do circumcision. It's not like today. I mean, today it's done many places, even whether you're a Jew or not. um, Even whether you're a Christian or not, it's done in places. Some Some people say do it medically, you know, all this stuff, right? So, whole different now. If you don't understand that, you know, then you won't understand what, she, what they're talking about, what Paul's talking about in this. So it's, it is important to know the thing. But you're getting a sense in the second time through, the second time you read, you're starting to hear these verses over and over and over again. And so now you start getting the idea of this between law and grace. You know? So then the second time through, we begin to notice that there's a debate going on. If you really look at the book and you begin to read it, you find that there's a debate going on. Paul is saying, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who? Who's bewitched you? Someone came in and did something. See, if you're reading that, you say, who? Who's he talking about? You have to understand when you're looking at the Bible, especially in the epistles, what you're getting is a one-sided conversation. You're not getting two sides. There's two sides to every story. But with Paul, you're only getting one side. You don't know what was happening. So you have to become like a detective to try to understand that. And so, who has bewitched you? Before your very very eyes, Christ Jesus was clearly uh, uh, portrayed as uh, crucified. I would uh, would like to learn just one thing from you. Now, this is kind of sarcastic. Did you receive the Spirit uh, by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, he knows he's already taught them that. So someone has bewitched them and said, hey, you have to have the full working of the Spirit by being circumcised or by following the law. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Now when he uses the word flesh, he's really referring to the law. So he's saying, you know, you started out in the Spirit, And then what happened? Somehow you're going back to uh, the flesh. Have you experienced, uh, excuse me, have you experienced so much in vain? Is it really, uh, uh, um, if it really was in vain? So basically, what he's saying here is he's saying they started out following the things that he taught them the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. Believe in Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. Believe, and the Holy Spirit comes into you. But somehow somebody came along and said, uh, Hey, you got to follow the law. Now, if you know some of the history, what you actually know is Paul was doing like kind of a a missionary journey. And guess what? There were these guys that were kind of like going like this. And where he went, they went afterwards. And they tried to correct what Paul was doing. You know? That's why in Philippians you see him saying, You know, if anybody has. The right, and you see it in 1 Corinthians where he starts saying, you know, who's got the authority here? Is it me or is it these guys you're listening to? Who's in authority? Right? So now just just backing up for a second. If you're reading and you're in the second time through and you come across this verse and you start understanding that he's trying to talk about salvation, about being right with God is through the spirit, you know, and not through the works of the law then at least at this point you can start saying to yourself well how do i do in my life how do i view the law in my life how do i handle it it should be asked you should be asking those questions as you get through like the second and then the third time you're saying well, all right, then I understand that, that it's by the, by the Spirit, but then what do I do with the law? What do I do with it? Now, I don't know about you, but I see this in churches all the time. Struggling with the law. What, does, what good is the law? Which we already read, what, good, what the law is for. And we'll see that as we keep reading, as we keep looking. It actually gives you a thing. It actually tells you exactly what the law is for. And that's a good thing. We'll, we'll hold on that. So that's the idea there. So now we're in development. So we see here that he begins, Paul, in the second time through, he's beginning to try to make appeals to the believer. You know, oh foolish Galatians, I am astonished that you so quickly are deserting the one who called you to live by grace and faith. See, I'm surprised you're leaving what I said. He's like making this appeal to them. He's saying, I plead with you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters. So you're not going to get that first time through. Some of you are going, wow, I didn't even notice that before. Yeah, it's because I'm in in like six times through now. You're not going to get that if you just read one chapter and stop until you read the whole book multiple times. You start seeing this. So, you know, become like me, for I became like you. You did not... uh, you did me no wrong. See, he's, it's like out of personal pill. You didn't do me anything wrong. As you know, it is because of an illness that I preached the first time. I preached uh, first uh, uh, in the gospel, which is a very, very interesting thing. So now you see him saying, hey man, I was, I was sick when I came to you. You're learning all about Paul as well. But you're seeing he's making all these appeals to try to get people to understand. And then Paul's trying to fix something. You learn it. Paul is trying to fix something, right? What's he trying to fix? Salvation of souls by works versus faith. That's one of the things he's trying to fix. He, uh, you know, understand then that those who have uh, have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. So when he says Gentiles, he's talking about the uncircumcised. So he's actually digging at these other guys. These guys that are talking about. You know, you must be circumcised. You must do this, this, and this. You must follow the law in order to be saved. He's saying, no, 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 no. The Gentiles are saved, and that's how they're saved. It's by faith. And then later we'll find out that he says, it's not just the Gentiles that are saved by faith. Everyone's saved by faith. And then he's, he's trying to protect, you know, he's, he's trying to, uh, he's, the perfection of the law versus imputed from God. What I mean is righteousness, okay? Imputed Righteousness. Uh, We need to get that word defined properly. Um, The best way I can say imputed uh, from God is like a syringe. You know, a syringe, right? He's, He's sticking it and he's pouring it in you, which means righteousness is coming from the outside in, not from the inside out. Okay? So... And, and perfection, uh, is uh, being trying to be reached by the law, is inside out. I'm trying to reach perfection from the inside out. When, 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 God is, when, when Paul is saying, you can't do it, it's impossible. Impossible. You've got to get it from the outside in. And so, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life or impute life, in part life, then righteousness would have certainly come by the law. He's nailing the law here. This is why, if you know, if you ever listen to the way I preach and the way I talk, I, I, in a lot of ways, I, I'm always coming against this because, oh foolish Balinese, oh foolish Orang Yang Tingle Sekarang, you know, uh, you who live now, you know, oh, you foolish Christians now, and I'm including me. We start out in faith, and then we go to the law. We go to certain things. You know, I'll, I'll give you an interesting one. I believe that you pray for people, and you pray over them, and you can anoint with them with oil. I, I'm all in favor of that. I don't think there's a problem with that. But when you start believing, it's the oil that does it and it's the prayer by the the priest up front, you know, me. eh, You know, I do notice sometimes, you know, when we have prayer time in front, people are waiting for me to finish. They're waiting for me to finish praying, so they come up, so I pray for them. Because you want the pastor to pray for you. All right? That's like works of the law, it really is. It's very similar. It is very similar. Let me give you a little insight. You know those other people that are standing next to me? You know what they've been doing while I'm preparing for Sunday morning service in here? They're upstairs praying. Sometimes they're more prayed up than me. You might want their prayer. But when we start looking at certain rituals and certain things that we think is what's going to help, it's not. It it, it doesn't do anything. You're not going to get perfection that way. I remember a guy saying uh, they were talking about uh, they were they were in the circle and uh, in their church they put money in the box. I'll explain that box back there in a minute uh, later on. And and uh, and so this guy was saying how every Sunday he said he never gave every Sunday he never gave, but he always took the envelope home, you know. And uh, finally, you know, he's at home and he has all these envelopes all over the place, you know. And he said God finally convicted him to give. So he finally, you know, he just, he, and, he, and he was having trouble with his business and all that stuff, right? So, so he decides to give, and he, he put the money in the envelope, and he put it in one of the boxes they have at church, you know, and he said, and then God began to bless me. Oh, I got so blessed, and he, he talks about how God just, you know, changed his business around. At the end of the meeting, one of the guys comes over to him and says to him, which box in the church did you put the money in? As if that box is the magic box. And we get in these little routines and we think, if I pray this way, you know, if I pray A, B, C the right way, then when I do it that way, God will bless. That's all the law. That's all similar to the law. When it all comes through faith, it all comes imparted through faith. And we'll get into that some more. So... Basically, and then again, Paul's still trying to fix something. We read this verse, works of the law by believing, beginning uh, beginning by means of the faith, finishing by the law. You see all this over and over. You get this. And as you read through the second time, you see this. Step three. Guess what you do, step three. You read it again. You read it through again. So the first time you read it through, don't do anything. Just read. The second time you read it through, then you start picking out certain things. Oh, I see this over and over again. I'm noticing this over and over again. I'm noticing this over and over again. Third time, you start getting an outline. You start looking at it. I mean, for me, one of the books that I did this with was the book of Acts. The book of Acts, I read it through, I don't know how many times, and then what I did was, in my, I, I began... At first, the first time I did it, I started, the first time I made an outline, it was actually not a good outline, but I, that's how I did it. I memorized what happened in every chapter. I didn't memorize the chapter, but I knew what happened in every chapter. And then as I began to read it one more time through, I said, "That's thanks," because not every chapter is the right way. So, and then I had to rearrange my thinking, and I rearranged the whole outline. So in my mind, the book of Acts has a whole different outlook than what you see in the chapters. In every book, it's gonna be that way. So I did throw an outline out there. I stole it from a book to get you to understand and see it in a better way, just to make it quick. So when you read it through the, the, the third and fourth time, you start seeing, obviously, there's always this introduction that Paul gives. And then he has like a, a biographical argument. You know, He's talking about you know revelation through human teaching, through the churches. He goes through all of these different things in the first uh, two chapters. Then you see a theological argument because in, in chapters three through four is the meat of the book. And you'll see that. It's the meat of the book. Here is more like kind of a personal thing. And then in the, in the chapters three and four, it's really theological. He nails it and he starts going through uh, all these different arguments. He's using a personal argument. He's using an argument from experience. He's using an Old Testament argument. He's, using a, uh, he's talking about... Uh, promises here where he gets into Abraham and stuff as well. He's talking about the superior of mature faith versus the in- in- inferior law. He's talking about the dangers of, of reacting uh, to the people that are uh, trying to trying to like, uh, change them. You know, this, this is all things, right? These are all these arguments. To try to get them to do one thing and one thing only. And what is that? What is the one thing he wants in this book he wants the Galatians to realize. We've already said it. What is it? We're saved by grace or faith and not by works of the law. That's the number one focus of the whole book. And then uh, he goes on in chapters five as more of a practical means, a practical argument of what that's all about. And then, of course, he always has his little concluding remarks at the end. And that's a basic outline of the book of Galatians. Now, it's easy. I can just Google, give me the outline. I can just take a book. I grabbed that from that book. I can just take a book and get an outline. But see, I won't learn anything that way. Do it yourself. Really do it yourself. Because if you do it yourself, you could stand here and teach the book of Galatians. I don't care. I don't care if you don't even have a high school degree. You can do it. By the way, What's one of, one of the greatest authors ever? Only has a high school degree. Toza. If you've ever read Toza's books, deep. Only has a high school degree. You know, no one probably looked at him. They all laughed at him probably when he first wrote his first book until they read it. Because he studied. He meditated. He prayed. He sought God. He did it. You can do it. You can do it. But you have to take the time and say, you know, Um, I want to do it. So that's the synthetic method, and I totally think that everyone should do that. Any questions? Because I'm going to stop here for less than a minute. So I'm not going to wait. If you don't raise your hand, I'm just going to move on. Okay? Good. I hope I didn't wait. Uh, Well, that's the way it is. Theological, this is to study the book in a theological method. Now, let me say one of my little uh, problems. One of the things that you have to be very, very careful for, um, especially in any study, is to realize that much of the theology that is coming out, that has come out in the past, much of the doctrine and, and even the, the basic way of doing theology has come from the West. Okay? I have a problem with that. I really do. Because in my opinion, the history, if you look at history, you know, Jesus and the, and the, and the apostles, they were more Eastern thinking. They were more like you than they were like me. They were more Eastern in their thinking. You know, like, like the idea of yin and yang, things like that. Uh, they, they had that more of their, in their mindset. But what happened was uh, the, the Christianity moved into Rome, and then a lot of problems happened in history and how the king made Christianity, yeah, anyways, all that problem, and, and so what happened is Christianity swept the west. It kinda didn't go to the east, it swept into the west. The Romans' roads, the printing press, and all that stuff. And then you began to get all these big thinkers, Augustine, Plato, all these guys. And they're looking at Christianity and they're looking at it from a Western point of view. They're looking at an Eastern book. And in a, in a Western point of view, what we love, well, well, let's say this, what we love to do is we love systems. And so then they came up with systematic theology that, in my opinion, and you can get this on tape, should be thrown out. Anyways, uh, I just really don't, I don't don't trust systematic theology. I think it's wrong. I think it's a Western method to studying an Eastern book. Shouldn't be. That's why I'm more of a biblical theologian than I am uh, a systematic theologian. And the reason why I like a biblical theologian, because... You know, you'll hear, you know, uh, is it predestination or is it free will? A systematic theologian will show you how it's definitely, you know, it's definitely not free will. It's predestination. They'll show you how that is. They'll wrench every scripture verse right into it. You know, and the free will guy will say, nope, it's this way. And then they read scriptures and they say, well, it doesn't really mean predestination here. It, it means, you know, uh, election. It's not really election. And they get all these stupid things, all these stupid thoughts. A biblical theologian, someone will say to a biblical theologian, is it predestination or is it free will? And he just says yes. That's why I like it. Because that would be an Eastern thought. Because they have no problem with these seemingly contradictions, being able to sit next to each other and be relaxed. Okay? So be careful when you get into theology and you start reading theological books Because, in my opinion, a lot of them are coming from a Western point of view. Now, that doesn't mean they're not right. That doesn't mean they haven't found some amazing things. I mean, they found the Trinity. The Trinity is so unlogical, so un-Western, so it's just there, you know? And and definitely, I believe in the Trinity. Maybe we'll study that one night to have some fun. That would be a very interesting study. Um, But we're not here to do that. So... The process of searching through a book to compare and correlate the doctrinal assumptions and statements is called the theological method. So we're going to look at direct statements that he makes about, like, it is this way, not any other way. And when he does that, uh, he makes that statement. Oh, do we have just a, a, a Bahasa person here? Oh, I'm so sorry. Who needs it? I'm sorry. You should have said it up front. So the theological uh, approach, okay? And so there's three aspects to this this method. One, defining the assumptions of the underlying uh, things of the the book's teaching. Second is the topical and explicit teachings of the book. We'll get into that pretty good. And then looking at the sections of the book that may be predominantly uh, theological or doctrinal in nature. So when we deal with this, we're not going to really probably talk about the first chapter. We're not really going to talk so much about the second chapter because we know, uh, oh, I know, that the, the, the third and fourth chapter are the meat of the book in terms of theology. So we're going to stay in that spot uh, in dealing with that. That's really kind of where we're going, to, we're going to hang out. Now, when you read the book of Romans, oh, I do... The book of Romans, is start to finish, is theology. So you, you can't do that in that one. It's so deep. Uh, they, they, they say that the book of Romans is, is Paul's like greatest masterpiece. They would even say that it's the gospel according to Paul. Uh, and that's, that, that's what they would say about that book. So, uh, but we're not in that book, so we're in this book. So basically, here we go. Assumptions and the underlying things of the teachings of the book. Now, Before we get into this, this is a very interesting thing. You want to notice something very interesting is that God is not trying to be proved. If you read this book, God is not talking about, Paul is not trying to prove God. He's assuming that God is there. But there's a lot you can learn in this book uh, uh, about God. But like, for example, in Colossians, he's he's really going to show you how Jesus is is the son of God. He's God himself. And that's part of the book. Part of the nature of, of uh, 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 the theological nature of Colossians is he's saying what? The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For him all things were created, all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or authorities. And I went really fast for that translation. Sorry about that, Daniel. Uh, and, you know, but th- this is like, that's part of... The book of Colossians is talking about who God is, trying to understand who God is. Paul's not trying to do that in the book of Galatians. It's kind of assumed that, he assumes that you kind of like know God, that God has existed. He doesn't even ever really talk about Jesus being being Lord of all like this. He never talks about that in Galatians. Sometimes when you're reading, you have to see what's not there because it tells you something. However, you can learn a lot about God In the book of Galatians, because if you're looking, you'll see that God is referenced two dozen times in four chapters, two dozen times, right? The reference, so in reference, you can learn who he is, and we can gain theology about his character and nature about who God is, just by some of his comments. So you can study this book and look at it and say, wow, theologically, I can learn some things about God's character. And that would be a good thing to learn when you're reading reading the the word. So for example, first we see that the the aspect of God is defined, he uses the word Father. He uses it right at the beginning, he starts off, the first four verses uh, of the Bible, he's talking about Father, and he's talking about both Christ and man, but really nailing about God being Father. Very good word. Learn a lot about God when you deal with that. You learn about his sovereignty, that he is good, that he is truth, that his judgment is infallible, that he brought salvation, that he sent his Son and the Holy Spirit. See, even though he's not talking directly about who God is, if you study the book of Galatians and looking to understand God, you can learn a lot about him, a whole lot. So theologically, we can learn about who God is. He's the Father. He's sovereign, you know, uh, going on. He, he has a personal relationship with God. It's possible. That's very important to know about God. Okay? Justification can be entered in. Now, justification, big word. Uh, I'm going to quote my old professor. Uh, I really liked him, One of the, my favorite pe- professor. He said, in... In seminary, we will learn all these big words, and they're really good, and you'll learn a lot from these big words, and we can use them so we don't have to talk a lot about one subject. He said, but do me a favor. When you finish seminary, take those big words, throw them in a box, lock them up. Don't use them on the street because no one will understand what they mean. You know? I mean, if you start trying to talk to someone about Jesus and you say, do you know that Jesus will justify you? Hello? So someone give me a working definition of justification. Just a quick easy definition of what it means to be justified. Put in right standing. Put in right standing with God? Yep. Judgment of not guilty. Justified means I'm justified. You know? I'm not guilty. I I have justice. Oh, you could even say that's not the best definition because justice can be either guilty or not guilty. But there is justice. That means that it comes out right. That's what it means. But being justified, justification can be answered. It means you can actually be found not guilty. That's what that means. Okay? We are sons, children in relationship with God. That's huge. That's huge. Practical here in this country to be able to know that that's the case. Because not every uh, religion uh, actually believes that God is Father. There's some religions that never use the the Father in reference to God. And if you're listening, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Anyways, I said it without saying it. Um, But coming in as sons and daughters, as children... Believers are declared as sons. Now, if you have children, this has such deep meaning because I always say to people when I'm talking to them, I say, "Rachel, when Rachel was born, or when Renee was born, was she ever not my son, uh, my daughter? Was she ever not my daughter? Ever? No matter what she did, she was always my daughter, even if she was bad." Woo! That's you when you become born again. Okay? You're redeemed into sonship. Now, this is another historical thing that... How am I doing for time? I'm okay. Um, This is another uh, important historical uh, understanding that you need. Uh, The word redeemed means to be bought back, to be bought, to be purchased. And then if you understood slavery at all, what basically uh, Jesus bought us, Okay? He bought us. So we were slaves. We were under uh, the dominion of, uh, of, of, of the evil one. If you read in Ephesians, you'll see that. In Colossians, you'll see that. We were, we were under the, the slavery of the devil. And we were on the what they call the auction block. We were up for sale. And God bought us and made us sons. So we went from slaves to sons. Now, just a side question, make you think a little bit. When God bought us, who did he have to pay? You can't answer. Who did God pay when he bought us into sonship? Who, he, who did he pay to buy us? We want to take a shot? The that's, that's the common answer he, he had to pay himself thank you very much he owes the devil nothing now I'm preaching he, the devil gets nothing he owes him nothing Sorry. <laughs> he owes him nothing he had to pay himself why did he have to pay himself because he is the just one he is the one that does the ju- judgment and so he had to pay himself it's really wonderful because if he didn't pay himself, now I know this may sound weird. If he didn't pay himself, then he, wasn't, he wouldn't be just in his judgments. Does that make sense? I mean, the best analogy is, and you can, you can show this when you wanna talk about justice, the best analogy is you're in a courtroom, God is the judge, he's going to sentence you to death because you did you know, penalties, and right when he's about to hit the gavel, Jesus stands up, the son of God, and says, Father, I will die for them so that they can be free. And who is Jesus? Jesus is God himself. He, is, he paid himself so that you could go free. Is there any, 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 any place in the Bible that that, 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 uh, that story, other than in Jesus, is shown? Yes, Genesis chapter 22, Abraham God's only son, right? Isaac. It says what? They go up on the hill. Isaac is carrying the wood on his back, right? And just before Isaac is killed, what happens? He sees a substitute, a goat, in 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 the bushes. So Isaac isn't a type of Jesus. Isaac is a type of us. The goat is a type of Jesus. We should die, but instead... God, because Abraham said it, God provided the sacrifice. God provided it. We are Isaac who who should die. And God switches so that we can live. Woo, I love that. I love that. So then the Holy Spirit prompts us to call God Father. See, we learn a lot about God even though he's assumed. We learn a lot about God even though He is assumed. So now the second thing in theology is to look for the major doctrine, and the whole major doctrine is right here, basically. It's talked about eight times. So now, you've done the synthetic uh, approach, you've read it through many times, you've gotten outlines. Now Now this is where you really, if you really want to understand things, you have to start digging down in the dirt. You have to really start getting into the Word. You have to start looking. Well, how many times did he use this word, justice? I notice. I always look for that. Every time I'm reading, when I'm, when I'm studying, I'm always looking for repeated phrases. Over and over again, repeated phrases. That will give you a clue, you know? My father, used to, my father taught me this. He said, if I told you once, I told you a thousand times. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Why? Because he wants you to know that. Same thing in books. They, over and over again... They, 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 they want to repeat, so you look for repeating phrases. We see the word justification, we see the word law, we see the word spirit, we see the word freedom. Those are all the words we see repeated. So now we see those all in the book when we read the whole thing, and then we notice that in chapter three and chapter four, he's really talking a lot about it. Oh, this could be the section where he really is trying to get into theology. This is where I can learn, okay? now. You could stand here, and I I, I can stand here, and I can tell you this, and we're going to go through it, but I really want you to try to do it yourself. I'd really like you to look at the book of Philippians and look at it, you know? So so here we go. Let's just read so you can get an idea. Know that a person is not justified uh, by the works of the law. There it is again. But by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ so that we might be justified, again we see it, by faith. Justification by faith. Not justification by works, justification by faith in Christ. And what does he say again? Not by works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. How many times does he have to say it? After a while you're like, shut up already. But he's trying to get it through so we understand. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves uh, also uh, among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ uh, promotes sin? Absolutely not. That's a tough one. We won't go into that yet. Um, uh, If I rebuild what I have destroyed. Okay, what does he mean when he says, "If if we rebuild what I have destroyed? What does that mean? If I rebuild what I destroyed. What's he talking about? Somebody can take a guess at that. Yes. He's saying, if I rebuild this whole law system that I just said is worthless, right, then I would really be a, I would, I would really be a lawbreaker. It's like a waste of time. I've just brought the whole, I just knocked the whole thing down, and now I'm going to rebuild it. Remember? Oh, foolish Galatian, who bewitched you? If by first starting by the by the Spirit, why are you now going to try to be justified by the law? See, he keeps over and over again. As a matter of fact, as you study this, you'll find that, man, he just he doesn't stop saying the same thing. He says the same thing seven different ways. That's really what he's doing. He just keeps saying it the same thing, different ways, to try to help you, help you understand. The whole crux is justified by faith now once you get that which we'll talk some more about justified by faith you and me see he talked to the galatians but he's talking about doctrine here so we have a we have a we have a we have a theology we have a doctrine justification by faith that means you and me when we put our faith in christ we are found what not guilty not guilty not guilty. Not guilty. You, sometimes you need to look in the mirror and go, not guilty. Because it doesn't make sense. This morning I asked the question. I said, who? Who, has a, who here has a perfect relationship with Christ? Who here has a perfect relationship with Christ? Raise your hand if you have a perfect relationship with Christ. Go ahead. Be bold. I have a perfect relationship with Christ. Why? Oh, because I do this, 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 and this. Ah! Impossible. I have a perfect relationship with Christ because he made it that way. Now, when I say it, it doesn't feel right. It, 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 it's like, it sounds proud, it sounds arrogant, it sounds uh, like, I, I sound like a fool. Yes, even I feel that when I say it. But Christ said it, Christ said it, that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? For those who walk after the spirit, not after the flesh, the law, not after the law. They will walk after the spirit. There's no condemnation. For ye who are dead and in, in, uh, who, who have died to your sins have now been reckoned, their body has been reckoned dead to sin, but alive unto God. Now nothing can what? Separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. This is why you need to know scripture so that you can actually quote it to yourself so you can actually survive. Survive. Nothing can separate me. Oh, but I sinned today. Nothing can separate me. Oh, I don't live right. Nothing can separate. Why? Because of what you did, Jesus. And trust me, once you get that revelation, you won't want to stray. You'll want to serve. You'll you'll find yourself falling on your your face and going, God, I don't don't know about you, but I I don't deserve it. I know who I am. I don't deserve it. And he's like, yeah, I know, but you got it, you know? You got it. So important that we understand this, not just in our minds, but in our spirit. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay. I'm doing good, I think. I think I'm doing good. So now we find that, uh, that Paul, in this justification, is actually going to do it in three different ways. He's, he's got basically three groups and three different approaches. He's going to keep saying the same thing over and over again. So basically, the biographical argument, he's going to say, you know, 14 years. I went up to Jerusalem. I, he's talking about himself. He keeps talking about himself. And then in verse uh, 14, he says, I went up in front of them. Now, okay, I, sh- I went too fast. I didn't want to. I'm trying to go faster so I don't, uh, so I don't run out of time. But... Basically, what's happening here is his own personal thing. You have to know some history here. Basically, Peter, you got Peter, right? Now, Peter is a great guy. Gotta love Peter. He loves Jesus, right? But Peter was really more of a Jew kind of guy, okay? So what Peter would do is when he was hanging out with the Gentiles, he would eat Bobby (laughs) Gooling, But when he went back to the Jews, he wouldn't eat it. He would act like a Jew when he was with the Jews and he would, then he would act like you know, uh, a, a Gentile when he was with the Gentiles. And Paul rebukes him openly. That's what his, his, uh, his, his argument is in a personal way. He goes, I'm not afraid. He said, don't just be you know, one way or the other. It's, it's okay. You can be a Gentile and still love Jesus and still be saved. And he said he rebukes Peter about this. You know, you are a Jew yet you live like a Gentile, and, like, and not like a Jew. See, because he was to- he was with the Gentiles at that time, but he knew Peter did when he was with the Jews would act like a Jew. He said, Hey, you can't do that. Don't do that. You know. So he says, You know, how then uh, that you are uh, that you force the Gentiles to be uh, Jewish customs? Because what he's saying is, you're a leader. You're a leader. And when they see you with the Jews, they go, oh, I'm supposed to act like that. He's like, no, 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 no. You got rebuked. I'm rebuking you openly to everyone. So that's his argument there. And then we have a logical or Old Testament argument out of chapter 3. Understand then that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. Now this is absolutely, oh, so uh, huge, uh, when it comes, for, for Paul to make a statement, if he made that statement, now he's talking to the Gentiles, but if he makes that statement, which I'm sure he did, to Jews, now, remember, he's making an argument, there's these guys who have come in and bewitched them, who are saying you must be uh, like circumcised, you must follow the law, and basically they're saying, because if you don't follow the law, you're not in the nation, you don't have the promises. So guess what Paul does? Paul uses the number one guy. Oh, we're talking about the number one guy, the father of all nations. He's the father of all the nation, right? He is the one. He said, he said, those who are of faith are the children of Abraham, which means the faith, uh, they're, they're, they're part of the nation, they're part of the promises, and it's all through faith. So now he's using an Old Testament argument here. He's saying the scriptures foresaw that God was justified by the, uh, excuse me, that God would justify by the Gentiles, by faith, and that announced uh, the gospel in advance to Abraham. Abraham had the gospel? Abraham had the gospel? What are you talking about Abraham had the gospel? Abraham brought the nation, and that brought the law. Ah, what he's doing is he's going to use Abraham, because you know why? Because guess what didn't exist when Abraham was alive? The law. So he's going to go before the law, This is what it was like. And the law, actually, and then he's going to prove that the law has a different purpose. The law has an absolute different purpose. It doesn't save. Oh, we need to get this in the churches today. Oh, we do. All the nations will be blessed through you, through Abraham. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay? And he goes through an argument I don't know if I went through it, Uh, I I don't really go through it too deeply, but basically showing that Abraham, I, I don't know if I do it later, but Abraham, what, it was declared righteous, why? Why was Abraham declared righteous? By, because of his faith. He says, Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith. So why are you saying it's the law? The guy who was the father of all nations before the law was justified by faith. Therefore, we too are justified by faith. He uses an Old Testament figure, most prominent, to prove his point. So we learn that justification and the law are in contrast. The law, see, now he's going to get into theology here. He's going to say the law has cause and and effect. The power of the law is to condemn. How many here have ever been stopped by a police officer and got a reward? You know, like, uh, I'm driving along, you know, I'm following the signs, I stop at the light, after the light turns green, I advance very slowly, very properly, all of a sudden the cop comes over, stops me and says, I want to give you some money because you followed the law. You never get rewarded for following the law because the law doesn't have that power. That's what he's saying. The law only has one power, and it is powerful. It condemns. The law always condemns. And it still does today. Now, that's not a bad thing, by the way. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that the law uh, makes you feel guilty when when you sin. That's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. What's it good for? Ah, we'll see. Anyways, we'll see, okay? Grace that justifies, purifies, has a purifying effect. See, grace purifies. Law condemns. That's what he's building. He's building a whole thing. The power of grace is within Christ's death, and it takes away the penalty of the law. This is his whole argument. His whole argument is it takes away the penalty of the law. That's what he's trying to prove, right? Did I get stuck? Tell me I got stuck. Thank you, I didn't get stuck. Okay, so now we get into the doctrinal section, and it's found in chapter three like we talked about, and the main question and answer is this. Are men made right with God through uh, the care of following duties and rules, or are they made right with, through uh, beliefs in who Christ is and what he has done. Now, we know the answer, okay? But now I'm going to get a little practical because now we're getting, we're, we're getting repeats here, but that's okay. Once you start repeating, then you know that you've gotten where the book is trying to talk to you about, what it's trying to say. But practically for us, right? Okay, we don't, we don't wear headbands or, you know, uh, We don't put the law here. We don't put the law on our things, and we don't do all the things that the Jews do, right? We don't do that. But come on. We kind of have some of this in the church, yeah? Following the law and making us look right, and, and we think it's gonna do something for us. What are some of the things in the church today? In in the church today, that, that we kind of hold on to and we think it's going to actually uh, do something for us or also do something not good. What are some of the things? I can bring up some popular ones, but what are you thinking? Because don't, don't fool yourself. You are no different. Sorry, I hate to say this to you. You are no different than the people back then. There's no difference. We tend to do the same things over and over again. We tend to get into the same binds over and over again. So what are some of the law that we actually bring into the church today that we think is a good thing, but God is saying, nope, it's not? Anybody want to take a guess? Try one? Some of the older ones, like easy. Some of the older ones are really easy. You know, okay, David did it today. David had to walk up and he had to apologize Uh, I told him to because he had to apologize for wearing sandals up on the stage. All right? Why? Why did he have to do that? Come on. Because some people think it's offensive and not proper, and it's offensive to God. My daughter was sitting, one time my daughter was sitting, I can't even do it, I'm so old. She puts her feet up like this. She was like really cold, and she had her feet up like this on the chair. This was in uh, another building that we we're in. Afterwards, someone came up to her and said, you know, please don't do that. That's, that's, that's like offensive to God. Huh? What? Where did that come from? Tattoos, all of that stuff. All of that stuff. I'll give you one. Ooh, this is a good one. Smoking. Find it in the Bible for me. Find it in the Bible. Other than it's unhealthy. It's definitely unhealthy. Come on, we can, we can all agree on that. It's unhealthy. Find it in the Bible that it is sin. Anybody want to try? Where do they always go? What verse do they always quote to say that, 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 that that's sin? The body, the, the body is the temple. How many here drink coffee? <laughs> How many here eat Bobby Gooling? I mean, we want to talk about body being the temple. If we're going to go that direction, then we're already in a slippery slope, which means, see, and this is the whole point of Paul. And the reason why this is the whole point of Paul, the whole argument is exactly this. If you start on one, then you must go to the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one, and pretty soon you've rebuilt the very thing he says does nothing for you other than condemn you. You see? That's the whole point. And so, he, you know, this is the whole idea. is We're made right not through following things. We're made right through Christ, which changes the whole dynamics of how we live. Okay, so, I don't know. Dondra, she looks different than me. She acts different than me. She wears different clothes than I do. She has a different accent than I do. I mean, everything about her is different than me, right? Well, then she can't be a Christian because she's supposed to be like me. Come on, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. Okay? I'm going to use someone that I won't get in trouble with. Carol comes walking in the church, smoking and drinking and you know, and, 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 and you know, wearing, wearing, you know, slinky clothes and stuff like that, she, right? I mean, I'd marry her in a second when she walked in like that. Anyways, <laughs> right, right? And yet, the night before, she was in a bar room and she had a revelation that Jesus Christ loved her. She got on her knees and she accepted Christ and said, I need to go to church, and she walks in. She's swearing because she doesn't know that's wrong. She's right, But inside her heart, she's totally changed. So what do we do? Well, to get right with God, you gotta stop this, you gotta stop that, you gotta stop this, you gotta stop doing this, you gotta do that. That's what we do. What did we just do? We just did the very thing he just yelled at. Now does that mean she should keep doing those things? No, God forbid, because what will that do? That'll keep condemning her. That'll keep making her feel bad. Exactly the power it does. So what do we tell her? We don't tell her to stop those things. We tell her to get to know God. Totally different approach. A wonderful approach. Much better approach than telling her she must do this, this, and this. It doesn't mean she shouldn't change. It just means we have to approach it differently. To me, it's radically different. And yet we don't see it in the church today. Did I? Did I? I don't know if I. Did I move it? Did I move it? No. Okay. So now he's going to use this other argument. He's just going to do questions over and over again. He's going to do questions. Did the Galatians receive the Holy Spirit uh, by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Duh. By faith. Can we? Uh, can we initiate? Can the initial uh, experience of life in the Spirit be brought on? To maturity by the flesh or by the law? No. See, he's using—he's—he's he's trying to appeal to them through using questions and doing it through theology. He's just asking questions, and it's a very, very uh, classic approach to uh, to teaching. He uses rhetorical questions: Is the spirit? Uh, is the is the is the work of the spirit in the lives of the believers? Uh, be abandoned and should be uh excuse i'm just a terrible reader (laughs) and should we return to the law no of course not of course not does the spirit does the work of the spirit in the church depend upon the works of the law or depend upon hearing by faith of faith you know which one he's saying which one which one which one he keeps saying it over and over again Trying to get people over and over again to realize it's by the Spirit. It's through belief. And I'm preaching now because only because ICC, IFGF, the, our community, we live in this. We will not succumb to the law. We will not go back there. I will not go back there. I won't go back there. And if you say I'm hyper grace, I want more grace. Because hypergrace, they don't even understand what that word means. They don't understand it. It's a, it's a, it's a, sorry. Has anybody heard about hypergrace? Hypergrace says you can do whatever you want and you're still saved. Well, guess what? That's actually true. However, that doesn't mean that's what you should do. That's why you gotta know scripture where it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, should we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? King James version cuz that's what I memorized. We shouldn't. We shouldn't keep sinning just because we're we're outside the law. We shouldn't do that. God forbid. We're saved by grace and we walk in grace and we 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 pour out grace. And we and I want more grace. How many need more grace? Yo, you need, how many need hyper grace? We all need hyper, I I want hyper grace. I I mean, that's such a stupid statement. Of course I want, do you want good orange juice or do you want really fresh orange juice? I want the freshest stuff there is, right? I want that as much grace as possible. I want it all, but that doesn't give me, it, it gives me, it does give me the right to do whatever I want, but that doesn't mean I should. That's the point. They just don't understand it. It drives me absolutely insane, the whole thing. Okay, now he goes into the Old Testament. I said we we're going to get back to this. How are we doing for time? Oh boy, I'm in big trouble. We haven't got to topical yet. <clears throat> he argues from the Old Testament. To me, we already talked a little bit about this. Uh, Abraham believed. I'm going to go quick. He believed, and that's why he's righteous. You know, and Those by faith are Abraham's sons. And if you're son of Abraham, you're son of the promise. So those who are of the same uh, same kind, believing in God, our righteousness, it makes, us God's, it makes us Abraham's son. If we're Abraham's son, it makes us, uh, it makes us uh, heirs to the promise. So he uses that Old Testament argument. I mentioned this before already, so I'm going to go on. And then, so these are the different things he uses, arguments of the Old Testament. He, you know, you saw this, blah, blah, blah. I'm going fast, as you can see. And then he uses arguments of promise. Abraham came He was the first one to get the promise. You know, the law, this is very important. The law did not negate or like stop the promise. No, the law was introduced 450 years later. That's his whole point is that Abraham was not under the law and yet all the promises came. Why? Because of faith. She's not here. She went to the other room. This would be what she needs to hear. She was saying, I don't feel God don't feel God. I wanna feel God. You don't have to feel God. You just have to have faith. And you'll get the promise. No one ever said that we were people who walk in feelings. We walk in faith, even when we don't feel it, okay? Oh, I am just not gonna, I'm not gonna finish. I'm, I'm gonna run out of time. <sighs> I do need to share this. And so after all of this, He wants to say this to them. And this is something very important for all of us. And that is, the law was given for a completely different purpose. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises? No. See, so the promises were in Abraham. The the, the faith came and righteousness came in Abraham. And then all of a sudden the law came. Does that mean it did away with this? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, when the law was given, it was given for a completely different reason. The law is given to you for a completely different reason. It will never save. I love this. For the law had been given that could, uh, if the law could have been given that would impute that righteousness, it certainly would have come. But the scriptures uh, locked up, everything under the, blah, 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 going on. Basically, here is the big one. The law is the schoolmaster leading us to the promise. What is the promise? What's the promise? Righteousness in Christ through faith. That's the promise. So what the law does when you sin, the law actually does something still to you now. It still has that effect. You say, I'm not under the law. No, but the law still has that effect. It'll say, you're doing wrong, you need Christ. You're doing wrong, you need Christ. You're imperfect, you need Christ. It's a schoolmaster leading you to Christ showing you that you can't be perfect in yourself. And the devil does just the opposite. You sin, and the the devil says, you're unrighteousness, and you don't deserve God. You know? Go back to the song we sang this morning. Okay. So those are the two methods. Oh, we're going to look at the topical. Do I have enough time? I got 15 minutes. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I have 45 minutes left on that? Okay, but it's 8.30, and I know I'm supposed to go only until 9. So, all right. Anyways, so, oh, any questions about the the theological uh, thing of Galatians? I hope that's, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. I made it pretty simple, but it's deep. If you get into it, you'll see so much about it, and you'll learn so much. I'm giving this to you. What I'd like you to do is take, like, say, the book of Philippians and say, you know what? I'm gonna try it with Philippians. I'm gonna try studying Philippians. Just like this, I'm gonna read it four times through and then make an outline for myself. Just don't even look at commentaries. Try to figure it out first. And then once you get into that, then then go and look at some stuff. His story, you have to read. You have no choice. You have to read about what's going on in that context because you just don't know. So there's two methods when you're dealing with topical. Oh, any questions? Going once, going twice, gone, okay. Sorry, I'm not gonna wait long. So you have the direct method and the indirected. This, this isolates like one word or phrase and then finds all the places in which it appears in the book and then what it does is it classifies like it says, oh, this word is used like three different ways. This phrase is used three different uh, ways. Um, and uh, and then we and then works towards an overall understanding of that word, and that's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, indirect methods follows a line of thinking, except it uses same line of thinking, except it uses like a general idea of a topic. This is a, this is this is okay, la. This is the this is the good way, in my opinion. This is the way you should do it, because this way you can start kind of saying, you kind of start pushing your own little thoughts in there once in a while. Okay. Um, I need to make a statement here now uh, with the Bible itself, okay? Um, how many here read the Indonesian Bible? Only most of the time, okay? okay. Um, how many here, uh, you know, so the rest I would assume read English, yeah? Unless there's another version, you, unless you have another language in your brain. Um, I can only comment on, on those two. Uh, the Indonesian uh, Bible is really difficult, um, they had the Sahari Hari, which isn't bad, but um, like if you'll notice, if you notice, I, will, you, I never quote um, Proverbs. Very seldom do I ever quote Proverbs uh, because in the, in the Indonesian Bible, the Proverbs are like a mess. I don't even, I, how you understand them is beyond me in the Indonesian Bible. Uh, and some of the older version of the Indonesian Bible is difficult uh, to understand. now. When you get to English, you have some of the same problems. So, when I speak to the English, I'm, I'm going to say this: that you know they have different approaches to the way they 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 they, they translate the Bible. There's both there's 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 uh, the literal approach or the or, or or the what's the word? Forgive me. Help me with this, uh, Josh. The dynamic equivalent, and then there's the verbally verbal. Uh, I'm sorry. For some reason, I'm. Yeah, it's. There's the verbal, and then there's the dynamic Uh, dynamic, uh, and Literal, literal, yeah, literal. So basically, uh, even the literal is not fully literal. But what they try to do in one uh, way is they try to take it word for word exactly the way the Greek has it in the old manuscripts or in the Aramaic uh, uh, Old Testament. Um, They they just get it right directly. And, And... Some of the versions that are like that, which are not bad, is like the New American Standard uh, is a good one uh, in terms of the literal uh, thing. The King James is kind of a literal one, but it's an old one. And, you know, when I I first started, when I got saved, uh, you know, Jesus carried the King James Bible around. I don't know about you, but that's what I was told. I learned it well. you know. That was the only Bible there was. That's why a lot of my memory verses are in King James. One thing I do like about King James, it's quite poetic. And if you like English poetry, it's actually, and and actually, I think it's easy to memorize. Uh, Easier, I think, um, because of its poetic nature. Um, But it's a difficult one to understand, and they use Old English, so that makes it difficult. I think they took the King James version and, used and made the Indonesian version from it. But anyways, <laughs> um, uh, so, and then you have dynamic equivalent. What the dynamic equivalent does is it reads the, like, kind of the phrase and gets the overall meaning of the verse or of the passage, and then it writes it in a way that you can understand it. Now, there's tons of arguments, and if I was, a, if I was in theology school, I can only use verbal I cannot use the dynamic equivalent. Uh, however, uh, like the, the, new, uh, the New Living Translation that I read from is a dynamic equivalent. The New International Version is a dynamic equivalent. Um, so when you're doing this idea here, you've gotta be a little careful because if you're looking at a word that's repeated, um, it's probably good to eventually go back into the Greek and actually find out uh, what that word is so you can actually see if it's actually repeated. Uh, For example, the word submit, okay? The word submit, I know that word because I studied that word, I love that word. Um, Women don't like that word because it's been abused so much. It's funny that the abuser who loves the word submit. Anyways, um, uh, that word actually in many places is called hupotasso. And after I got done studying it, it is the most amazing word ever. But in the Bible, it's not always translated properly, so it doesn't you always use the word submit. So for me to find the word hupotasso is not always in the same places as they use that word. So this is why you have your problem when you're going to approach this topic uh, because you're going to say, oh, I see that word a lot. Well, maybe check the Greek to see if it's actually being repeated as many times as you see it. Because, And, and, and I use uh, Bible Hub is on the, uh, in the... In the, in the uh, that thing, the internet. Um, <laughs> it, it, the Bible Hub is really cool because you just look up a verse, and actually the easiest way to find Bible Hub is just, well, at least mine maybe because it now knows me. Uh, I just put in like Luke 16:24, and in the first three things, the Bible Hub would come up, and I'll just click on it, and then Luke 16 will come up in English, but then it'll say Greek, lexicon. It'll have all the different ways I can look at that And I can click on that, and it'll show me all the Greek words. And then I can click on that, and it'll show me all the different types and ways they're using that. So I'm not advocating word studies, Mm, trouble, Uh, and you really need to know Greek to do that. But just be careful here. That's all I'm saying, if I made sense there. So in this, we're going to collect all the material first and the references of the word. Then we're going to define the words and understand the word, what it kind of means. In its collected form. And then we're going to classify that. Like what I mean by classify. uh, uh, I think we're going to use the word freedom if I'm not mistaken. Uh, How many different times freedom is used. Well it's used in different relationships. Like for example we just did this in in our connect group. They didn't know we were doing this. The word in Christ. What does in Christ mean? Because they were saying it over and over again. In Christ, what does that mean? And so we looked at all the different places where we saw the word in Christ in the passage we were doing. And then we kind of said, oh, it means this here, it means this here, it means... So we're categorizing. They were doing it and they didn't even know they were doing it, okay? And then draw conclusions to understand what that word means. That's the final product. So, um, I don't know why I'm here. I have to figure out, I've lost track why I'm here. Uh, oh, yeah, we're going to actually do um, uh, in, uh, of the law. That's really what the word we're going to use. That's what made me confused. Of the law. So if we look here, we see all, right away, we see all these. I just grabbed the book to make it easy for me uh, instead of writing them all out. But these are all the law. You see, man is justified of the law. The next one is works of the law, works of the law, through the law, a little different, through the law again. Uh, again we see works of the law, works of the law, works of the law, see, so you see different versions, it starts using different ways, of the law, you know, just different things, it'll go over and over, it'll use all these different ways, it goes all the way through, you see, this is a good word because it's used everywhere, in the law, of the law, by the law, all these different, under the law is a new one, you see all these different ways it's being used, so, this is using different ways. Even though it's the same word, he's using it different ways. We're trying to understand it, okay? So now we look up the word. What does the word mean? Well, it's 31 times. 31 times in the book of Galatians. 31 times. How many chapters? Six. 31 times. That's an average of five times per chapter. Yes, he definitely wants to talk about this, okay? Okay. Uh, and so identified, identified as the mosaic uh, code of, this, uh, of spiritual, moral, and ceremonial principles. That's basically a definition of this word law. It's a, it's, it's a mosaic code. Matter of fact, if I could say it uh, this way, and I've done some study on this. When, when, when Paul says the law is done away with, you gotta be really careful because there was different types of law, Okay. There was the Mosaic Law, which is the Ten Commandments. There was the Rabbinical Law. The Rabbinical Law was all these laws that the rabbis came up with. Like, you can't walk more than so many miles or K before you, it, it, on the Sabbath, or it's considered work. You know? So, what they, you can't carry something. So, actually, this is what they do. So, the rabbis, and they're smart, they would walk, and if they got to that point, they'd put it down, they'd say a prayer. Do a couple of like ritual things. They pick it back up and keep walking, and then they didn't break the law. The foolishness of it all, and this, so they had the uh, Mosaic law, the Rabbinical law, and then you had the ceremonial law, all the sacrificial law, all that stuff. So you had those three. So when when Paul says the law is done away with, well, which law? All of it. Interesting, very interesting. So you have to look at that. You can't. It's not that simple. Okay. And so, and then they had the book of the law is, re- when they use the word book of the law, they're referring to the Torah or the Pentateuch. Who knows what the Pentateuch is? Pentateuch, yes. Five books. Five books. Pente, penti means five first five books of the Bible. So when he refers to the book of the law, he's talking about the first five books of the Bible, okay? So, uh, and, but mainly when we look at this verse, he's, he's referring to the Jewish law, which is like the rabbi law, and the, uh, and the sacrificial law. So see, he's not really talking about the Mosaic law. He's not talking about that. Because what happened was, the, the, the Mosaic law is basically kind of like, the Mosaic law shows the perfection of God. That's really what it is. It shows the perfection of God. All the ceremonial laws and all those other things were the things that they had to do And they thought that if they do them, then they would be saved. That was the mistake they made, okay? So that's why he's referring mostly to those when he says the law is done away with because those are the things they thought were gonna save, okay? So the topic is, we get a definition. By the works of the law is a system of thought, of code of actions, mostly uh, in, 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 uh, in the conversation or in contrast, the right word is, uh, between grace and the work of the law. So there's the system of code of actions. This is the key. I know I'm repeating myself, but this is a different way of looking at it. It's really about a code of actions. So you've got to ask yourself, now I'm talking to us, do you think that because you have um, your quiet times every morning, that that is making you right with God? Well, the answer would be no, Right? No, that's not the answer. The answer is, you're actually asking the wrong question. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, of course it's making you closer to God. It's making you understand him. You're having a conversation. You're spending time with him. It's making you closer to God in who you already are. You already have a perfect relationship, but now you're confirming it and understanding that you actually have it. So it's good to do it, but it won't make you right with God. So when someone says, you should have a quiet time with God every day, ask him why. Ask him why. And if he says, well, because that's the way you should do it, that's what every Christian does, then you say, eh, wrong answer. Say, that's a bad idea, mess them all up. Anyways, he'll be all messed up. Okay? Okay. Okay. So we're into under the law, we're looking at it, it's found five times. And it's, uh, it's referring to a guardian. This is very interesting. So in the law is a code of actions. Under the law is like a guardian, like a parent. He uses that. And this is really cool, this is very important. So he says, we are not, if you, if you, if you are under the law, you're under it, like a guardian who helps keep you out of danger. Is that a good thing? Kind of, kind of, except Paul doesn't, uh, Paul doesn't want you to be under the law. Why? Why doesn't Paul want you to be under the law like a guardian? I'm asking a question, because I have some time. Excuse me? Okay, we're not under the law. What are we under? Under grace, he wants us to be under grace. Why doesn't he want us to be under the law uh, as a protector? That's pretty good, that's pretty good. It kind of would negate the reason for going to the cross. That's definitely one reason. What other reason? Why do we not want to use the law to keep from sinning? Because that's what it is, right? I'll give you the reason, okay? Okay. (sighs) Carol and I are married, okay? I have never cheated on Carol. Therefore, we have a great relationship. Not true. Not true. I, I, I'm under the law. I, I, I obeyed the law. I stayed under it. It was my guardian. It kept me from, it kept me from uh, cheating on my wife. Therefore, I have a good relationship. No, see, the law doesn't have any power to bring a relationship about. Now, if we're under grace, if we let grace, if we're under grace, then what we do is we don't just do the law. We go an extra step. So, okay, I don't don't cheat on her because I love her and I don't want that to be a part of our lives, but now I'm going to actually love her. I'm going to do things for her. I'm going to spend time with her. I'm going to go all the way. That's what Jesus was talking about when he says, you say... Do not commit murder. But I say to you, even if you look at a person with, uh, with anger in your heart, you have, you have uh, committed murder. Why? Because he's saying grace goes so much further. This is why. Okay. Tithing is the law. Okay? Tithing is the law. Right. We're not under the law. Amen. No, we're under Grace. It goes much further than the law. Everybody's going, let's go back to the law. (laughs) No, this is the truth. This is the truth. See, we want the law, we want to be under the law because we say, oh, it keeps us out of danger. Yeah, but it does nothing for us. It keeps us out of danger. But then we're still like these empty shells. So we go under grace. And when we're under grace, now we give out. We, 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 don't, we don't sin because that, we know that doesn't help grace. So we stay, we stay out of that, and now we pour out instead of just be... Another great example is, um, you know, there's a, a beggar. I've heard this story, it's a good one. A beggar is sitting outside the, 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 the restaurant. He's sitting out, out front, of the restaurant, he's begging in America, you know? So the store owner goes over to the police officer and says, police officer, please tell this guy he's loitering, it's against the law, he can't live there, he can't stay there, you know, it's ruining my business, please tell him to leave. So now the police officer goes over and says, hey, you need to move. Everyone was within the law. Did anything good happen there? Nope. He should have extended grace to the guy. Maybe help him. Maybe do something for him, but he doesn't have to because he's under the law. He's not under grace. Does that make sense? Understand the whole point now? So under grace, the danger of being under grace is that we only have to follow the law. It does nothing for us. It doesn't do anything for society as well. Oop. Oh, I'm quick, I'm almost done. So then once we go through that, we, I, I went very fast, forgive me for going very fast on this last one. Um, so the conclusion is, when we look at the observance of the law will not bring about the promised Holy Spirit. The observance of the law is not the key to consistent, miraculous power that God supplies. Now, I didn't even get into that one, but that's amazing, too. Okay. And if, Well, I, I, I won't, because if I get into it, then I'll keep going. The observance of the law is not the key to consistent, uh, to, uh, to the, uh, well, I think I wrote that one wrong. Is not the key to constant, uh, oh, that's wrong. I, I wrote that wrong. I must have be been getting tired when I wrote that. Basically, the law is, 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 is going to constantly put you under the curse. That's what I'm trying to say. So, to not, to, to, re, to not receive judgment, he must continually fulfill the requirements of the law. Let me explain that one. It makes sense now. Okay. So basically, if you start out under the law, right, you must constantly continue to fulfill all its requirements, or you come under the curse. That's the problem, okay? That's why you don't want to be under the law. So, all right, I'm sitting under the law. I'm not doing anything wrong. All right, now I gotta keep following, gotta keep following, gotta keep following. I miss it, boom, I lose. I lose. I make one mistake and it's over. Once I break the law once, I am a lawbreaker, okay? And then the law cannot restore a man. This one is amazing, and I'm glad I ended with this. The law cannot restore a man to place a favor with God. Once he has sinned, he's condemned. The law can never bring you back. This is Paul's whole point of the book of Galatians. Over and over again, you've heard me saying this all night, for the last two hours. This is the whole point. This is why the law is, in a sense, worthless to save. It's really good to bring you to Christ, but it's worthless to save. So when you're convicted, it's because you broke the law, but that doesn't mean you're under the law. Now you go to grace. Does everybody make sense? Very simple. So, yeah, basically these are the methods. I'm going to stop here. Sorry, I hope I didn't go too fast. But that last one, I kind of, I would use the word butchered a little bit. I went a little bit too fast on that last one. But these are all the different methods. And I really want to encourage you to get into the Word. Get into the Word. Now, I have some time, and I think she shut off the camera, so it's okay. It's good. I, I'm going to throw a big wrench into the whole thing, but I'm, I'm going I'm to say it anyways. I really believe, and, and, and I, I, really, I really want to know God's word. I, I really want to know it well, and I want to keep studying, and I'll keep studying it until I die. I'll keep looking at things. I look at people I completely disagree with. Carol hears me yelling at them. Sometimes I'm listening to them on YouTube, and I'm like, no! Anyways, I yell at them, but it's good to listen to them because I learn, all right? So I want to know the word. But I want you to be careful because uh, I like what Charles Finney said. He said, "He said all of the word, all all of the all of the spirit, and none of the word. No, he said, I, I got to get it right. All of the word, and none of the spirit, and you'll dry up." What I mean by that is, just studying the word doesn't do it. You really need to act it out. You need to walk it out. You need to pray and say, God, tell me what to do. You need to do all those kind of mystical things in following God, but you need to know the word so that you don't go stupid, you know? Like one of, one of the guys said to me, you know, I mean, I've been saved so many times by the word. I had this one guy come to me uh, and he said, he said, uh, all of a sudden he was sitting with this, this different girl. In church I, th- I don't know why I thought it was his sister but after a while you know after a few weeks I was like who is that and she go- he goes oh that was my first wife I was like oh that's your first wife okay now I need an explanation where's your second wife <laughs> you know he said oh well what happened was I, I, I had my first wife I got a divorce I got remarried and now I realize that God wants me to, you know, go back to my first wife, so I'm divorcing my second wife and I'm going back to my first wife, okay? You play pastor, what do you do? You wanna know how simple that one was? That was so simple, it was the simplest one, I, one of the most simple one I ever had, you know why? Because in Deuteronomy chapter 36 or 34, off the top of my head I can't remember, Chapter 34 or 36, it says, if you divorce your first wife and you marry your second wife, uh, you cannot go back to your first wife. It's an abomination to God. My life is easy. I know the word. I studied it out of Deuteronomy in this little, little nothing. But I had read it, and I knew it. And so when he said it to me, I said, can I read a scripture verse to you? Very simple. I said, what do you think about this? Of course, he didn't listen to me and did it anyways. But um, that's a whole other story. Uh, so, like all, so you need to know the word; it will save you. All of the word and none of the spirit, and you will dry up. All of the spirit and none of the word, and you will blow up. And we know there's a lot of blow-ups. Come on, we've seen this all the time. I've seen this in so many different places and so many different people who don't know the word and they just into the spirit and they, and they prophesy over people and I see so many people getting hurt. They don't know the word. When I say they don't know the word, it doesn't mean they don't read it, don't study it. They don't come under it and really say, God, show me what it means. So all of the spirit and none of the word and you blow up. You need both. You need both you know and so I want to encourage you so much to study the word of God to really study the word to know it to memorize it to learn it and uh, you know and this way you know you know what you're walking into and if you get into the word you get into it that way and then you really start following God he will speak to you through the word he'll speak to you deep things And all of a sudden you'll be sitting there and you'll be teaching somebody out of the word and God will pop these scriptures in your mind and you'll start doing it. That's why some people say, how can you flow so easy? I don't know. I got this huge file cabinet in my head. I love when someone's preaching and all of a sudden they say something that I hadn't thought of. And I'm like going through the Bible with all these thoughts that I've had about something he said, and I'm checking what he's saying, but then I know it's true, and then I'm learning, because now I'm seeing it all relate to everything. If you've never read it, you'll never do it. So I really want to encourage you to know the word of God. Know it deeply. Know it in your heart. Know how to tell your kids about it. You know?